Megan, I have been using our sponsor Element, that's L-M-N-T, to boost my hydration for over a month now, and I'm really loving it. I'm just not very good at drinking plain water, and I love the taste when I pop one of these little packets, I like orange or grapefruit, into a big bottle of water. It's kind of fruity and salty, and it just helps me hydrate better overall. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix born from the growing body of research that shows the best health outcomes occur with higher sodium levels. Each little pack delivers a significant dose of electrolytes, but minus sugar, artificial colors, and other iffy ingredients. Element's flavors are so unique, like fruity watermelon salt and spicy sweet mango chili. And we're going to set our listeners up with a variety pack so you can find your favorite. Right. You can receive a free Element sample pack containing eight flavors with any drink mix purchase when you purchase through our custom link, drinkelement.com slash momhour. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T slash momhour. This offer is available exclusively through our partnership and is available for both new and returning customers. And if you're an Element Insider, you'll have first access to Element Sparkling, a bold can of sparkling electrolyte water. Again, it's drinklmnt.com slash momhour. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Mom Hour. I am Sarah Powers, here as always with Megan Francis. Hey, Megan. Hey, Sarah. So we're here with another Friday bonus for you. It's fun for us to pop in unannounced every couple of Fridays or at least once a month, right, Megan? Oh, yeah. Love it. And I'm very excited about today's episode because I am interviewing an awesome mom named Danny Kilgore, who you're going to get to know more during this episode. And it's really, this is kind of a tough one in some places. We should mention that this episode deals with some heavier content, including miscarriage, prematurity, and infant loss. So if that's something you're sensitive to, just be pre-warned. But you know, on the other hand, if you're listening with kids around and you're not sure if it's a good episode for little ears, I will say there's nothing graphic in this episode. And actually, I thought Danny's attitude was so positive and just so honest that this interview might actually help normalize something that is just so much more common than we're always aware of. Danny actually talks a lot about how after she experienced her losses, other women started coming out of the woodwork to tell her their stories. And it got me thinking about how much these stories of loss just often aren't talked about or kind of glossed over. So I'm just really glad and grateful that we had the opportunity to share Danny's story. And I hope that our listeners who have been there feel seen. Yeah. You know, Megan, I got to listen to this, um, but you did the interview. So I was listening as a listener and I was just so touched by kind of the way Danny sees her role moving forward um, as, you know, an ally and an asset to women who are going through something similar. She talks a lot about advocating for herself in the medical system, which we know is something that is hugely complicated in our country, um, in our society today. So I learned a lot from Danny. And you're right. She was so uh, uplifting, even though the the topic is hard. And I'll just say one more thing, too. We get requests from our listener community all the time to cover tough topics. And we want to be able to bring you stories that are really honest and true and from a perspective that we think can help not just those going through loss or hard stuff right now, but the rest of us who want to support our friends and fellow moms. So I, I'm really excited for everybody to hear from Danny today. Yeah, I think it is really powerful in her story how much of an advocate she's become for pregnant and pre-pregnant and postpartum women to educate themselves and choose a supportive healthcare team and listen to their bodies. And, you know, when warranted, demand to be heard so that they can get the care they need and deserve. And we talked quite a bit about the treatment that Danny got during her pregnancy with her son, William Jr., where she was really dismissed for a long time, even when she started having symptoms of preeclampsia that went on for quite some time. And then when she dug in afterwards, she found out that women of color and particularly African-American women wind up with a huge disparity in the care they receive during pregnancy and birth. And then, of course, that has a huge effect on outcomes, right? So she's just got some really great wisdom to share about making sure your voice is heard. So before we get into your conversation with Danny, Megan, we want to thank our sponsor, March of Dimes, for putting us in touch with her and for making this episode possible. 
We have loved working with March of Dimes because they really are front and center in getting important information into families' hands so they can have the best possible chance at a healthy pregnancy and baby. Yes, March of Dimes really is the leader in getting information out there about things women can do to increase their chances of having a healthy, full-term pregnancy and a healthy baby. And these are really simple things, actionable things like getting enough folic acid and staying up to date on your own vaccinations. They also support research, lead programs, and provide education and advocacy to empower every mom and every family by building on their long legacy of impact and innovation. For more information and more helpful tips on how to give your baby the best possible start, visit marchofdimes.org slash themomhour. Again, that's marchofdimes.org slash themomhour. And now here's my conversation with Danny Kilgore. Hi, Danny. Thanks so much for being on The Mom Hour. Hi, Megan. How are you? Thanks for having me. Of course. I'm doing great today. And um, it's a little early for you because you're on the Pacific. <laughs> you're on Pacific <laughs> time and I'm on Eastern time. So we're starting off the morning um, by talking about your journey to motherhood. And I'm really excited to dig in. Um, tell us a little bit about your family. First off, I know you've got a daughter named Harper and your husband's name, William. Um, what do you all do for a living? How old is your daughter? Okay. Well, yeah, sure. So, um, I am, um, a wife of 11 years. My Mm -hmm. husband and I have been married for 11 years. Um, he owns a media company and so he does a lot of, um, media work. So that's anywhere from social media to, um, recording videos and editing them. Mm -hmm. He does graphic design, website design, things like that. Um, he has a lot of clients, but his expertise is um, helping support faith-based organizations to make their uh, blueprint on um, media in the world. So he does help them with that, especially in this time where everything is virtual. Yeah. That's what he does. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's convenient to be already set up to do that. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. So he has tripled his clientele since the pandemic started wow. and all these organizations are like, how do I do this? Online? Right. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So he, he has been um, like a, a saving grace to a lot of churches and a lot of other um, nonprofit organizations and things like that. And then um, I am a pastor of a church. Okay. Um, I serve as a pastor of outreach and missions um, at a church here in San Rafael, California. I live in Novato, California. We're from Atlanta. We've lived in California in the Bay Area for about two and a half years, almost three years. And um, I moved from, we moved from Atlanta because I got called to be a pastor at this church. So that's what oh. I do. Is that a, mm-hmm. has that been a culture shock for you? Uh, it is in uh, lots of ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I imagine. Yeah, it's pretty different, right? Yeah. yeah. It yeah. is. It's different. Um, it took us a minute to get used to a lot, you know, coming from the South to the West Coast um, is was a big jump for sure. But, um, you know, my daughter, she's five. Um, her name is Harper Avery. She um, it's almost like she she was born to be a Cali girl. <laughs> OK, <laughs> she loves the Cali life. I mean, everything. She is such an outdoors kid. And living in Atlanta, you know, you don't get to spend that much time outside just because it's so hot. Yeah. And so, um, but living where we are, we have, you know, pretty temporal weather. And so she's outside all the time and she just loves it. So, um, yeah. 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 So she, she climbs trees and wants to go on walks and Mm -hmm. we just (laughs) recently bought, everyone bought uh, hiking shoes. So we're doing flat trail hikes now. So you're doing, so you're doing California. I love it. We're trying. (laughs) Yeah. We're trying. trying. Yeah. Well, so, so Harper is five, um, Mm -hmm. but your journey to motherhood started a lot before that. So, and got off to a rough Mm -hmm. start. Can you share that story? Yeah. Yeah. So like I said, um, my husband and I've been married for 11 years. We got married in November of 2009. And uh, shortly after we got married, I found out that February of 2010 that I was pregnant. And um, at that time, I was a teacher. I had just started, it was my first year of being a teacher. My husband had just started working for a church as their media director. And so what we like to say is we had some humble salaries. Mm. And (laughs) it was, um, you know, we lived in a a one-bedroom apartment at that time. And it was really uh, shocking. You know, we were all for, you know, 
being, you know, the newlyweds and, you know, making it work with just our love, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but, and so then I found out I was pregnant. And yeah. I was not as excited, <laughs> to be very honest. I was not excited. I was like, no, we can't be pregnant now. But my husband comes from a family of eight. Mm. And so he was thrilled. Right. And so he got me on board and, you know, helped me, you know, build up faith and, and trust and things like that. And so we started to get really excited about it. And I, you know, went into a baby's RS at one point and was like, oh, this is going to be great. Well, um, after about six and a half, maybe seven weeks, um, I started spotting and went into the doctor's office and uh, found out that I um, had miscarried. So um, I it didn't completely miscarry. And so I had to have a DNC. And so um, that was, you know, another stage of trauma for me because I had never had this major surgery at all. Or right. And so, yeah. you know, that was hard for us. Uh, my doctor, though, you know, quickly and very swiftly, you know, said, oh, it's OK, though. You know, this happens more often than you think. And um, so it was kind of like, a, oh, it's fine. It's natural. Yeah, you'll be fine. Um, that didn't sit that well with me, but, you know, I, I kind of let it go. And my husband and I decided, you know, let us not, let's, let's wait. And so we decided to use birth control and to keep us from, from getting pregnant again. But then around 2013, we decided we were ready to start again and to actually try. And um, I got pregnant and found out that I was pregnant with the son. And we were going to name him William Jr., and so we were really excited. I was still a teacher. I was also a soccer coach and I was in my 20s. So I was really healthy. Um, I was um, very, I was exercising a lot. We were, there was no reason for me to think anything would happen with this pregnancy. And my doctor felt the same way. But um, around 20 weeks, um, I started to spot again and went into the doctor's office. Um, the baby was, heart rate was still there. Um, he did some tests and things like that, and it came back. Um, he couldn't find anything that was happening. And so he just said, well, just let's take it easy. Maybe stop, maybe stop, um, you know, um, being the soccer coach for a while just so that we can watch it and make sure everything's okay. So I did that. Everything was fine. But then around 23 weeks, um, I started having these really bad headaches. And I, you know, it made me feel like my head was going to explode. I would wake up dizzy. Um, sometimes I would, it, it would, I would see have blurred vision and I wasn't really sure what was going on. So I, I called the doctor again. Um, they would tell me to lay down. They would tell me to take my blood pressure. And every time I would take it, my blood pressure would be like in the high thirties, high forties. And I'm like, gosh, this is not, this isn't right. Mm. And, you know, every time I would call a the doctor, they just, you know, seemed to dismiss that, oh, you're fine. You'll be okay. Uh, it's not, oh, this happens all the time. It's probably drink some more water. You're probably dehydrated, things like that. And that was probably a but, big jump from where you had been before. Cor yeah. Correct. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, I, I remember my mother told me, um, early on when I was being raised that you should pay attention to your, the signs your body gives you, mm -hmm. uh, because your body always tells you when something's wrong when something is misaligned. And so as a pregnant woman, I, you know, I'm really paying attention to my body because I'm not just paying attention to my health. I'm paying attention to the process and the, you know, the process of my, the unborn child inside mm -hmm. of me. And so I'm like telling them what something is not right. Something all right. And one night and one morning I woke up and I barely could get out of bed. My head was hurting so bad. I had, I was hot all over. I just feel horrible. And my husband's like, let's just go to the doctor's office. We're just going to go. We're just going to show up. And so we just showed up. We went there. I'm talking to the doc. My doctor was not there at the time. Um, I was talking to them. They wouldn't, for some reason, they wanted to send me back home with a, um, a test where they were going to test the protein in my urine over a course of a few days. But I was very adamant, like, I'm not leaving until I'm seen by a doctor. I have to be seen by a doctor. They finally um, allowed a doctor to come back. Um, he brought me back in his office. He asked the nurse to take my blood pressure. The, blood, the nurse took my blood pressure and said, oh, she left, came back, 
got the doctor. The doctor took the blood pressure. He left out, came back to me and my husband and said, okay, I need you to go straight to the hospital. I need you to go straight to the hospital. I'll meet you there. Don't go back home. Don't worry about anything. Just go straight there. So we go to the hospital. He meet us there. We get checked in. About maybe 35, 40 minutes later, he, he walked in and he shared with us that I have preeclampsia. Hmm. Um, my, my blood pressure was like 156 over 107. Wow. And he was like, yes, I think you have, pre- we, we believe you have preeclampsia and you're going to have to stay in the hospital until um, you give, till you get to full term. Wow. And again, I was at 23 weeks. That's a long time. Yeah. That's that's a long time to be in a hospital. But he told me that if I wasn't careful, that preeclampsia could turn into um, eclampsia. And that can be fatal for both me and my child. So, Danny, let's take a quick quick break here just to talk about what preeclampsia is, because um, I know that various pregnant women experience it to different degrees. And the symptoms I've always heard about are exactly what you're talking about. High blood pressure, um, Mm -hmm. headache, sometimes really thirsty can be one, I think. But Mm -hmm. talk about like what actually was going on in your body that was making that happen. And was there a reason? Did they ever say, oh, this is what caused it or just kind of randomly happened? Yeah. So they, they, you know, to this day, (laughs) there's, they, they, no one has told me why it has happened. Um, but, you know, they they said that it, it happens, you know, it starts to happen around 20 weeks of pregnancy in a woman. Yeah. Um, um, and I had never had the high blood pressure before, never had that ever, um, which that was also something that they shared was that happens too, mm. um, that, that you don't have to have ever had high blood pressure. It happens to women whose blood pressure has been normal. Um and that what was happening is my placenta was start, was starting to not work. Mm. My placenta was somehow my placenta, the way ever my placenta formed, it formed in a way where it basically clocked in and wanted to clock out before <laughs> its job was done. Right. Okay. It was on yeah, strike. So yeah. It was on strike. Yeah. And so at 23 weeks, I'm in the hospital and they're, making sure that I am being monitored around the clock. And so um, I was there. I was in a yeah. high risk. I was at a high risk um, a maternal um, floor. So a maternity floor. And so um, I was there. I miss. I had my birthday there. <laughs> I missed oh my gosh. best friend's wedding. It was, it, but you know, for me, it was worth it because I was sacrificing right. for my son. But at 28 weeks, I was awakened out of my sleep by a nurse and she was looking at the monitors and um she was like I'm gonna have to wake you up I know it's late I'm so sorry um she's but I need to get the doctor and so um she contacted the doctor Dr. Kate and they sent me down to run some more tests to do a ultrasound and what they discovered is that my placenta um had stopped working completely Uh. Yeah, so during this working. time, were you medicated or were you just kind of waiting and being monitored to s- hopefully to see what would happen? So um, I, I actually don't remember if I don't know what they were doing. They didn't right. really talk to me in yeah. details as to what was happening during those five weeks I was in the hospital. I'm sure there was um, a lot of beeping machines and like yeah, random things. Yeah, a lot of machines. <laughs> yeah. A lot random of Random tubes. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was taking urine test um every three or every week or every three days i can't remember how often but i yeah. do know i was taking urine tests on a regular basis um because they were trying to check the protein levels yeah um they were um checking my blood levels they were i was in an ultrasound every one like once a week just because they were trying to see the blood flow and the oxygen flow from me to my son uh, just to make sure, and that's when they were discovering that there was it was spotty, yeah, for the blood flow from my placenta to him, yeah. And so, um, I you know they they sent me down. They saw that my placenta had completely just stopped sending blood. It just mm. stopped receiving blood. I should say not sending blood, receiving blood. Uh, my heart was sending the blood, but my uh, placenta was rejecting it. And sending it back, and it was that's what was causing the 
the stress on my heart and my son wasn't getting it the proper way he was supposed to. So at that time, and as a result, his heart rate had dropped significantly um, to the point to where they decided that they needed to do an emergency C-section at 28 weeks. Wow. And so um, at 28 weeks, right after they did that ultrasound to discover that my placenta stopped working, they sent me back upstairs to get me prepped for a cesarean. Um, I had a classical cesarean, which is not the traditional C-section that um, mothers or that they choose to do. And that means that um, they did a vertical incision versus the horizontal incision. And... um, as a result, you know, that takes V back off the table. Yeah. This was not, and the other thing is this was not explained to me either. Right. It was just, oh, everything was just happening. No, no, no one was informing me what was going to happen, what, what the decisions were going to be made. I was not a part of the, um, I was not a part of the care for this at all. Yeah. Um, it just happened. And so they delivered my son via C-section. Um, he was an ounce less than a pound. Um, and he was rushed complete. I remember they, they showed him to me like very quickly and then rushed him off to the NICU. His lungs were extremely underdeveloped. Uh, he had to be uh, placed on a breathing machine to keep his, uh, his lungs uh, inflated because they kept collapsing and um, they wouldn't. It, they wouldn't inflate and deflate the way, you know, lungs are supposed to. And so um, he was very, very small and very, very sick. And, um, you know, I was just, when I remember being in the NICU and seeing all of the different machines mm. that was hook, he was hooked up to. Everything that it took to um, sustain his life. And I just remember saying, wow, it takes all of this to sustain life which my body can do naturally. Right. Yeah. And I, and you know, you don't, at that time I was like, wow, this is truly a miracle. Mm. You know, childbirth is a miracle. It is a miracle. Um, And so I remember as weeks went on, I mean, as, yeah, as weeks went on, my, my son was actually getting stronger. I was breastfeeding, not breastfeeding. I was pumping milk. Yeah. Yeah. I was pumping milk for him to have. And so, um, they were feeding him through a, a feeding tube. Um, and so um, he was getting stronger. He was getting bigger. Um, at one point, he was actually even taken off of the um, oscillator, which is the machine that keeps his lungs uh, inflated. He was able to be off of that. And so it seemed like we had you know, reached a successful point. Let's talk about that really quick before we go on, because I want to talk about what mm-hmm. that was like for you. Um this was, he was in the NICU for, I think you said 50 days. Um, yeah, and you uh-huh. had had the more difficult C-section to recover from, right? Like, I, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then at some point you were released. <laughs> so what was yes. that like? Like you were going back and forth or, I mean, how, how were you yeah. able to do this? Okay. Yeah. So I was a teacher, um, but because I, um, I, you know, I had to go into the hospital early. Um, I took all the sick leave that I had. Um, some of my coworkers donated some of their sick leave to me as well. But then um, when he went into the NICU and they said he was going to be there for a while, um, you know, I stepped down from being a teacher mm. so that I could be with him more, uh, so I could be with him uh, full time. And so I stopped teaching and, um, was with him full time. And then I was driving, me and my husband were driving back and forth to the hospital. And it's interesting because we lived 45 minutes away. Mm. So we were driving um, a long way often. And um, it was, it was, it was a lot, you know, I was bringing milk back and forth. I was staying up there sleepless. Sometimes I would sleep there. It was, um, yeah, it was a around the clock experience. You know, I, I, I posted, during um, prematurity month, I posted a, uh, a uh, post on my Instagram and I said, you know, the walls of the NICU hear more prayers than mm. the walls of the church. Wow. Because, yeah. you know, during this time, as I'm supporting my, you know, as I'm being there for my son, I found myself and my husband did too, uh, supporting other parents as well. You know, we're, we're sitting and praying with other parents. We are um, comforting and supporting them. 
Um, I was praying for other parents, I mean, other babies that were in there. I was praying with, we were praying with nurses. Mm. And so, you know, we were praying with our doctor, our son's doctor um, um, as well. They were amazing. She had, he had two, um, a a male doctor and a female doctor, and they were amazing. They really were. And so um, you had mentioned yeah, that we were you were there. you were still you were of, of modest um, financial means at the time. And <laughs> yeah, I my youngest daughter was in the NICU for 10 days. And I remember looking around thinking like some of these babies are obviously here for for the long haul. They're tiny. Mm-hmm. How are these parents yeah. financially doing it? Um, were there resources for you? Because I feel like that would be such a burden. I mean, it would have been a huge burden on our family to continue that much longer. And there really are babies who are just in there for so long um, mm-hmm, and that and the commute mm-hmm. and everything else. I'm just curious how, how other parents made that work? Yeah. I don't know how they made it work. We made it work by the grace of God because we didn't, we actually, I mean, we weren't given any extra resources. Yeah. I do. I do remember um, a social worker came around and asked if, if we wanted, you know, information, but, um, for us, we were like, no, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll make it work. We have, we have family, we have a church family and, you know, we'll make it work, save it for someone who really needs it. So I, I, I couldn't even tell you what was being, what would have been offered. Right. Because we yeah. didn't, um, we didn't pursue it. Yeah. Um, it, it wasn't easy. I'm not yeah. going to say that. It was, yeah. <laughs> it was actually tight. Because again, my husband was working for a church and I was a teacher and then I stopped working as a teacher. So, um, you know, that it was, it was really hard, but we, like I said, we had family and we had friends and we had our church family that helped, you know, when they could as well. So, so yeah, so we were just, we would go back and forth in the NICU. Um, and again, like I said, he had gotten stronger. He gotten, it seemed like he was getting better. Um, I had a friend whose son was born at 28 weeks. And at that time he was 16 and he was like six feet tall. And I was like, wow. And so she was telling me it can happen. So I had a hope. I mean, she had given me seeing him. It was for me was like, okay, so it is a possibility that my son can come out of this. It's Mm -hmm. a possibility. So, you know, I just, I just held on to the hope that this could, things could change. And it seemed like things were going in the right direction at that time. But um, on October 31st, my um, son got pneumonia for the second time. He got pneumonia. He had gotten pneumonia once when he, you know, around the time when he first was born and they were able to clear the infection and things like that. Um, Then he got pneumonia a second time. And I think that second time is what, you know, kind of, and I even kind of, I think that's what took us down a spiral towards um, him not being able to fight anymore. I mean, it was hard. They couldn't get, they couldn't, they could never get his lungs back together again. And it was just really, really tough. And so on November 8th, so he was born September 19th, 2013, uh, four days after my birthday. Mm-hmm. And then he passed away on November 8th, 2013, oh, wow. uh, four days before my husband and I's anniversary. Mm. And so it was, um, it was really, it was, it was a interesting moment when we saw, when we watched our son pass away. Mm. Uh, we was there, we were there. Um, we. Um, were able to um, help the doctors. I think it was interesting because the doctors, our doctor was very emotional. You know, doctors don't mostly get emotional yeah. during these things, mm-hmm. but he was extremely emotional. He could he could barely tell us what happened. He was turning red and you could tell he was getting choked up. And my husband went over and walked over to him to talk. And I saw my husband place his hand on our doctor's um, shoulder and he began to pray. And our doctor took off his glasses and was crying. And when my husband came back, he told me that our doctor was like, I just don't understand. We tried, he said, you know, we tried everything we could. You, you, we don't find young people like you all that come in our, come in this hospital 
with such hope and such courage and such, you know, you know, such such good spirit. And he said, and we were rooting for you. We wanted this to work for you. We were trying everything we could. And I think this is, he said that um, for some patients, it's harder when things like this happen. It's hard when it happens in general, but for some patients, it's just, it's just even harder. And he said that you were just one of those families. Yeah. And the nurse was having such a hard time um, removing all of the different cords and things from our son. And I, I, I really believe I had an out-of-body uh, experience because I started helping her. Um, I, was, I told her, I said, you can, I can do it. Just show me what to do. And so I did it. And I'm, I'm helping. I'm pulling off leads like I'm a nurse. I'm doing everything. I'm cleaner. But I, then I found out later um, that it was her first. It was her first um, time in the the the, high, the NICU. It was her first um, I don't know what you call it turn or whatever shift maybe NIC- shift yeah, yeah shift yeah. okay maybe shift in the NICU and um, not only did um, our son pass away but three babies had passed away oh. that day. Oh my gosh! Uh. And she she was um, like I, I, she was on her knees trying to clean up stuff and. She was shaking. And so I helped her up and I said, it's okay. You're okay. It's okay. And she was crying. And so, you know, and then I found myself praying with her as well. And it's interesting that at that time I am, um, I'm caring for people when, you know, I think I I needed a little care. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. But um, our family and our, um, our, pastor at, at, and his wife at the, of our church that we were serving at at the time came in. And I think that that was what that I, we just, we just kind of, that's when all the emotions kind of fell in. Well, that Boy. makes sense because you, maybe part of your coping was to be strong for the people around you. But then when he came mm-hmm. in, you could kind mm-hmm. of, you know, fall apart. So, wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, after this, this is obviously super traumatic and you mm-hmm. had, you know, a lot of recovering to do after that. Um, talk a little bit about how that looked, because obviously you you decided that wasn't it for you. You were still going to, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, go on this path of of being a mom. And and how did that like play out? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we call we call this journey uh, to parenthood a faith journey because there's a lot of faith that had to be connected to all of this. Um, you know, it's through prayer, through, um, support of our family and our friends, um, our church family, uh, therapy and group counseling that I was able to find some healing in this, find some, um, some hope again in this, you know, um, like I said, you know, my, my faith, in my, my, my strength, my religion is a lot of, um, what helped me to heal, but I would, you know, I would be remiss to say that there, this wasn't a turning point for me. Uh, this was a really hard conversation, a hard, um, you know, um, face to face, you know, opportunity for me to really figure out, okay, what is this God? Like, what is happening here? This doesn't make sense. I wasn't prepared for this. You know, you, you try to prepare as much as you can for the, the death of your parents or, you know, you, or your grandparents, you know, th- those types of things you, 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 you know, is, are going to happen one day. But when your child passed away, that's not something that's not the natural order of things. Right. That's not the perceived natural order of things. And so my faith had to be uh, was at a reckoning because mm-hmm. I had to figure out what was going on. But, you know. You know, it's only by, you know, like I said, my faith and being in counseling and therapy where I was able to find um, answer, get some questions answered, find healing, find that it was OK. And then the other thing is I started to meet women that started to tell me, oh, yeah, this happened to me. Oh, yeah, this happened to me. Yeah, I had a stillbirth. College roommates reached out to me and told me this happened to them. Um, but they had never shared this before. No one had never told me any of this before. Yeah. My mother-in-law told me that she had lost a child. I, no one had ever shared this before. 
And I started to ask why, like, why is this, why is this such a, a, a secret? My neighbor um, shared with me, she didn't know why we were at the hospital for so long. And so she, she thought we had had the baby. So she put diapers on our door. Mm. And when we saw the diapers, we took them back and we shared with her. And she told us that she had lost twins. Wow. And it was, you know, it's at that time, I just started to dig for answers because it didn't make sense. Because the, also the common denominator there was that all these women that were talking to me were all African-American. Mm. And I, that was disturbing to me. Like, yeah. Why is this, why are all these only African-Americans that are saying this happened to them? And so I started to dig and I started to do work and I found out about March of Dimes and <clears throat> March of Dimes had this, uh, you know, uh, they had all these resources. They had this, this, um, this page where you could just go and, and type in, uh, they would tell you all these different articles and these statistics and all these different facts. And one of the things I found out was the, that African-American women had the highest rate in, um, maternal death and um and pregnancy premature death i mean premature pregnancies highest rate of cesareans highest rate and it a highest rate in um in um babies that die in the NICU I, I was like what okay this doesn't make a whole lot of sense and so yeah. I you know March of Times helped me to start finding out reasons and start asking questions and, you know, and finding out that the disparities and the um, inequity as it pertains to access to healthcare for some, you know, women of color. That wasn't my case though, because I had healthcare. Um, and so that didn't answer my question. I am curious though, and I don't want to interrupt you, but you did mention that during your first pregnancy, during your second pregnancy, you kept calling mm -hmm. and yeah. you kept telling them what was wrong and you were blown off. And so I do right. wonder if like you had the healthcare, but were they mm -hmm. doing their, their job for you? And that's, that's like, were you getting mm -hmm. written off because um, you're an African-American woman because you were young? Like I, there's, there's mm -hmm. many reasons mm -hmm. you could have been getting bl blown off, but it sounds like mm -hmm. you kind of were. And I'm sure that's, that's a tie too, right? Right. It is. Yeah. yeah. And that's, what I was going to say that, like you just said, that's not, that's not what was had not having a healthcare was not my issue. My issue was not being seen yeah. as a valuable and as someone who needed a certain level of care. I was being written off. I was being dismissed. And dare I say, I was being seen as like an angry black woman who mm. was just irate for no reason. And only to find out, oh, there really is something. Send her straight to the hospital. Right. It's like, you know, had I, what about if you had, a, you know, shared with me, if you had taken me seriously when something first was brought up, Maybe this could have changed. I don't know. But, you know, <clears throat> nevertheless, yeah, it was. So, you know, I think at that point I was starting to um, research, get more information, find out more details. And so I was ready. I felt like I was equipped enough to try again. I had I had um, enough knowledge base to where I could ask questions. I could advocate for my own care. Should this happen again? And so um, we decided to try again in 2014 and we did but I miscarried I had another early miscarriage oh my gosh and and so I think at that time my husband and I we said you know what what, what would life look like without children and we just started to explore that and we started to explore you know what it would be like if it was just us or if we decided to adopt I mean we, we even um started to get the information from our um county's um our county for what would it look like to be a foster parent and things like that. So, you know, I was a youth pastor at that time. And so, you know, I, I, and a teacher, so I was already a surrogate mother to a whole lot of children. Um, and so, yeah, I was like, okay, well, this is, you know, I'm, I'm fulfilling this, so it'll be fine. And so we just, at that point, said, okay, well, well, it'll just be us. So we, we took a vacation and to Las Vegas, and we discovered that, you know, the the saying everything everything that happens in Vegas stays <laughs> in Vegas. Yeah, that's not true. Mm -mm, that's not true. <laughs> Do you bring something Vegas. back with you? <laughs> because, yeah, we yeah. brought back uh, a positive pregnancy. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, we went to Las Vegas on a vacation and came back pregnant. And wow. So, um, you know, we weren't trying. We it just it happened. Mm. And we were like, Oh, wow. Okay. I was, it was, I was very anxious. 
um, it was really, I was nervous about this because of what had happened in the past. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, again, I had the strength of my support group. I had the strength of, you know, my, my church family and things like that. My husband and I, you know, were strong together and things were different. Um, my doctors were different. My doctors heard me. My doctors sat us down and talked to us about the type of care. Our doctors told us the plan that they wanted to do. My doctors um, asked me, am I okay with this plan? Is there anything yeah. I would like to see happen? What, what outside of the goal of having this, of having a healthy baby, what else do I, what else would I, would I like to, what I expect from him or as my doctor? That had not been asked of me, mm. but he was African-American. Mm. My doctor was, my nursing staff was predominantly African-American. And I can't help but to think it's because he saw, the first thing he said when I walked into his office was, before, before anything, he said, Miss um, Kilgore, I see from the chart that you've, you've experienced some major losses throughout the years. And I want to say, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. I am so sorry that you've had to experience that. I was blown away. Yeah. He he first connected. He connected with me not as his patient, not as chart number two two seven five, right? <laughs> but as as Danielle Kilgore, a woman, a human mm. who has experienced a loss. He connected with his heart to me first, and at that that was that was big for me, and that did not happen with my previous doctors who were white, mm -hmm. to be very frank. They didn't, they, that wasn't, they blew off my, oh, you have miscarriage. Oh, it's, it's normal. I mean, yeah. he said that too. He said, I see that you've had miscarriages. And unfortunately, that happens more often than we would like to see it happen. I remember his conversation because the words he chose to use um, were more of, gosh, this shouldn't happen this way, but it does. Mm. Not, eh, it not, happens. Right, yeah. not so uh, blasé about it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well. So, you know, I found out that we were having a girl, and, and um, you know, our high-risk doctor told us, he said, I want you to know that, you know, we call them um, that, that, that um, African-American little girls tend to, um, if she does go to the NICU, they fight harder. He said, I don't know what it is, but um, they, they, they tend to do way better in the NICU. Um, and he said that, um, so I, I just wanted to kind of give you that encouragement for whatever it's worth. Right. And she did. You know, my daughter was born at 35 weeks, and that was by choice between us and our doctors to go ahead and, and deliver um, early because there was some signs that preeclampsia was returning again. And so um, we decided to um, deliver via classical cesarean. And we talked about that, that too. My doctor talked to me about the possibility. He said, if you want to do VBAC, we can try. But I want you to know the risk. Yeah. I want you to know what would happen. He, he talked to us about everything. And so, um, yeah, we, we went ahead and decided to, uh, to deliver her at 35 weeks. She was born um, almost uh, four pounds. But she, her lungs were fine. She, um, she was eating. She just needed to get plumped up. Yeah. And so my, um, we're from the south. I, like I said earlier, from Atlanta. So my, my husband's mother was like, so we just, I just need you to eat some grits and some collard greens <laughs> and some cornbread, so you can fatten that breast milk. <laughs> I love it. So she was bringing me all this food. I was like, I can't eat all this food. <laughs> but she's bringing me all this food because she's like, no, we got sticking that that breast milk up. I love so it. We can get fat. Yeah, you're <laughs> so, like, I'm not sure it works that way, but okay. <laughs> right, right. You know those old Southern wives. Yeah, you know, yeah, they, yeah. They think of everything. But um, so yeah, she she was she was doing well. Um, the only thing that as a result, and they told us this was one of the possibilities of her being born prematurely at that at that um gestational age was that she could, you know, be born blind. She could be born, born with a hearing loss. She could be born with digestive issues and things like that. Well, my daughter was born with sensorineural hearing loss. 
And so she does have, uh, she does wear bilateral hearing aids okay. because, um, so the, 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 the threads or the, the fibers or nerves in her ear that causes your, your, you to hear either they didn't properly grow mm. or they grew and died because of due to her prematurity. But I mean, so she does wear hearing aids, um, so that she can, so that sound can be amplified for her. But other than that, I mean, my daughter is very healthy. She's five. She's in kindergarten. She she reads right now, and she's she's doing well. She loves to sing. She loves to dance. Like I said, she's such an outdoors kid. She loves talking and having fun and things like that. And so, um, yeah. I and you that, knew going in that that could happen. So I'm sure you felt mm -hmm. so like so much more like you were part of that conversation and were right. prepared for it. Whereas it wasn't mm -hmm. just like, oh mm -hmm. yeah, by the way. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We were prepared. Like they gave us all this information beforehand that all the things that could happen. And so, um, I mean, I, you know, when I look at my daughter, she's definitely a sign of what faith, um, what support and what a miracle looks like for sure. Yeah. Um, she, she's a blessing to us. And those doctors were a blessing to us. You know, I was previously, I was at a private, when it was my son at a private care, I had, I was at a private doctor's office. Um, and when I was with, with my daughter, I was with Kaiser. And mm. I, I don't know if, you know, different training is given mm. when you're with a more of a, a corporate type hospital system versus private care doctor system. But they, it's almost, I mean, they understood what it meant yeah. to provide um, equitable and uh, equitable health health practices yeah. they knew what it was like they knew what to do they knew how to talk and then because i was looking i was being cared for someone who looked like me right it was just different danny I, I know we have to um wrap this up in a minute but i just wonder if if women who are in the situation you found yourself in with william jr what, how, mm -hmm. what do you tell them now like if they don't feel like they're being heard if they are not being listened to if they just have a bad feeling um what do you tell them to do I tell them to fight. Yeah. You know, you deserve as much health care. You deserve to be listened to as as much as anyone else. Like this is service you're paying for. Mm. Like you, yeah. you, you're paying for this. And even for, you know, even for mothers that, you know, maybe on um, different type of insurance. Yeah. Where, you know, it's Medicaid or, or Medicare or whatever. Yeah. It's it doesn't matter. You know, every life matters. Every life matters. And and that of the one that's talking to you, Mr. Doctor, and the one or Miss Doctor, as well as the one that's inside of me. Mm -hmm. They all matter. And, you know, no one should be dismissed. No one should be um, seen as invaluable. And so that's the first thing I would do is to make sure that you don't give up. Don't let them tell you what you know. Right. Uh, what you don't know. And then the other thing is to also do your own research to your own research. You know, knowledge is power. You know, scripture says that uh, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. Mm -hmm. And so we should be educating ourselves. You know, Google is, you know, good for some things, good, not good for other things. But <laughs> it's a good it's a start. It's right? a place it's to, a start. to at least figure out if what's happening is normal or worrisome right. or yeah, it gets you on the right, path. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But there are organizations that do have, um, you know, uh, credible information and you can go to March of Dimes. March of Dimes was where I went that they've partnered with doctors. They've partnered with the CDC and the CDC is a credible organization that knows all of these different things, you know? And yeah. so you can find information and you can be, um, in the know. I mean, there are also all types of Facebook groups um, where women that were like me that can go on and ask questions and mothers, you know, exchange information. Oh, this is what I said. This is what I did. This is what worked for me or didn't work for me. You know, being able to find community is really important. You know, you in community, you get answers. Um, you don't have to be alone. You don't have to walk this journey alone because it is hard. You know, it is a, this is a sorority that um, never stops hazing. 
<laughs> this is <laughs> this is yeah. you never forget what what happened to you. I remember I'm pretty sure Megan, you'll never remember you'll never forget those 10 days that your child mm. was in the next you. No, never you, will. When you think about it, it's it's something that will never and I think that, you know, you providing this platform and allowing mothers like me to share our stories is also something that helps too. So I thank you for that. Thank you. It's, it's, it's important. And I wish more mothers, I wish, I wish our society would um, see these stories, not as stories of sorrow, stories of sadness, but they would see it as as stories of strength, courage, and hope. And that these are stories that need to be shared. These are stories that need to be um, amplified and illuminated as what they are. Women and fathers who uh, fight, who fight for the, for the um, sake of their unborn child or sometimes for their child or that share the stories that this didn't happen. This happened to me, but it is still possible for it to happen to you. And so, yeah. Well, Danny, thank you so much for sharing your story. I so appreciate it. I know it's going to help a lot of moms listening. Um, thank you so much. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you, Megan. Well, thanks everyone for listening. And a big thanks again to Danny for sharing about her journey. We also want to thank the March of Dimes for sponsoring this episode and working with us all month long to raise awareness for Birth Defects Prevention Month and the hashtag Best For You, Best For Baby initiative. And that's the numeral four. Again, we hope you'll check out their tips and resources at marchofdimes.org slash themomhour. And we'll be back with you Tuesday of next week with an all new episode. Have a great weekend and we'll talk to you then. The Mom Hour is supported by partners like Erica. Erica is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug when they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. Erica was built by a dad of three boys who saw that teens themselves were really becoming self-aware to the risks of social media, and he wanted to help them self-regulate. Erica works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, E-R-I-K-A dot A-P-P and use code THEMOMHOUR to save 20%. Sarah, I have been having just the best time making my new podcast, The Teas Made. I launched back in November and so far I've covered topics like staying warm on cold winter walks, nurturing creativity, how to be a great host, and even Nordic secrets to loving winter. Well, you know, I am fan number one of the teas made. It's got such a cozy vibe and it seems like you've really hit your stride in covering topics like wellness, self-care, comforting rituals and routines and home and family life. Just look for the teas made with Megan Francis wherever you get your podcasts or head to theteasmade.com to find all the episodes.